Hello and welcome to another episode of The Clever Kids. This is a weekly podcast where three brothers take a look at a topic from popular culture that you may or may not care about. My name is Tyler. You got Brian here. And I'm Jeff. Jeff's going to get to watch uh, a weird dance every time Brian and I try to talk because we are recording in the same room on the same microphone. So we keep having to like move heads in and out of frame to uh, let the one other these, one speak. One of these moments we're going to have a thought at the same time and just crack heads. <laughs> yeah, kiss. Um, this week we're talking about X-Men Days of Future Past, directed by Brian Singer, written by Matthew Vaughn, starring... Oh boy, here we go. Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, Hugh Jackman, James McAvoy, Jennifer Lawrence, Michael Fassbender, Halle Berry, Nicholas Holt, Anna Paquin, Elliot Page, Sean Ashmore, Peter Dinklage, Evan Peters, Omar Sy, Daniel Cudmore, Fan Bingbing, and that's that's the main cast. Um, this movie came out in 2014. And sort of served as a a reboot bridging of the X-Men franchise in a way that uh, no one had really done before that was interesting. Um, let's start with uh, early thoughts here. Jeff, do you, this was your choice for movies, so I'm going to let you start with your thoughts here. I love this movie. That's why I chose it, right? I mean, I when we started this, this time travel season... Um, the first movie I chose was a movie that I haven't enjoyed because I wanted to get different perspectives and, and understand why other people did enjoy it. So I figured for my second movie, I'd pick the time travel movie that I've enjoyed the most, which, um, while I wouldn't necessarily say this movie is super heavily focused around time travel, it is a movie that involves time travel as a central purpose of, a, of its plot. Um, but the time travel portion of it really doesn't come into play um, as far as consequences and all of that. Um, they don't really get into to a lot of the metaphysics, but, um, I love this movie. I, I mean, it's no surprise to anyone. I, I'm a huge superhero fan. Um, just to talk about some of the things I love about, uh, the fact that this is such a, uh, perfect ensemble cast film, you know, my favorite part about reading X-Men comics and watching X-Men films is watching the interaction between two mutants working together. And this film pulls that off better than any film has before or after um right the opening scene specifically where you get blink i mean first another thing i'll talk about is how much i love the other mutants that we finally get to see things like bishop blink uh, warpath all of these characters that were heavily heavily used on x-men teams throughout the, the the decades that we now finally get to see on screen and live action for the first time being able to see them work together for Blink to open a portal so that Warpath can jump on someone's back, right? Like, um, there's just some really epic moments where we get X-Men working together in a way that would suggest that they're a team, that um, you know, they've been doing this for, for decades. Um, and I think it's something that's missing from a lot of superhero films in the in other genres. Well, in X-Men films specifically, I mean, how many times in the movies do we really see like synchronized fighting amongst the team? Like it's not, I think that's something that is on every X-Men comic book cover. Correct me if I'm wrong here is, is them all mid action sequence, like working with each other to take down some foe, but you don't get that that often across all the movies. So I, you know, in this one, you actually get a real uh, taste of that and you're right like the from the very first scene you're like oh this is sick especially i'm guessing for you guys that are more than casual viewers and know a little bit of the backstories to some of those heroes that me as a casual viewer i'm like i don't know who that guy is but that was badass or you know whatever oh there's Iceman getting his head popped off but like I, I don't know. I just, I think you're right. There is some synchronicity in the way they're fighting that suggests a team more so than what you see in the other movies where Wolverine's just doing his thing and Storm's ripping Thunderbolts and none of it's really um, a team fighting in unison. Yeah, I'll definitely say that um, that opening scene where it shows up and it's like the Sentinels getting dropped off over this weird war-torn version of America and, or where are they? They're not in America during the first... Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's Russia, I think. Maybe that's what... And, like, 
Bishop is there with his gun and he like grabs onto to an ener- someone's energy and like fills up his gun, which is very comic accurate, which I was like, that was exciting. Um, seeing Iceman come in through a portal on like the ice like Bridge, slide that yeah. he makes and then he turns himself full ice um, was really cool. Yeah, uh, Blink was like one of the newest X-Men characters at the time that this movie came out and uh, maybe not the newest, but had was newer than any of the other characters that are featured here, right? So it was kind of cool to see some like one of the newer generations. I mean, she's a 90s character, right? Like, so is Bishop, but at any rate, and then you get like Sunspot going full flame mode. You get Colossus like headbutting a fucking Sentinel is pretty cool. You know, like, um, yeah, it's just it's just like cool to see the X-Men kind of just in a full-fledged fight scene together because yeah, those earlier X-Men movies, it really leans on Wolverine kind of carrying the show. And not to say that this movie doesn't do that. Um uh it was interesting to see like another team sort of do like, you know, still doing the X-Men stuff and carrying that mental. I will say I I do love this movie a lot. I uh it's yeah, it's probably Brian Singer's best movie. Um, it, here's an interesting crossover. Another terrible human directed this movie, just like uh, the movie that I picked for my first movie, like Shane Carruth, who like abused women or whatever. And then Brian Singer accused of like sexually molesting young gay men. Um, so yeah, just a nice. uh, cool crossover. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think my general thoughts are... Honestly, this is probably the best X-Men movie other than Logan. possibly Logan. Uh, I do look at some of the earlier X-Men films as kind of, I don't know, just maybe I'll just say older superhero films that just don't, I don't know, pack the same punch as like a quality Marvel one. Um, that being said, this one really brings it home. And I think obviously we get plenty of Wolverine, which is great. Um, but he also isn't playing the manic, you know, animalistic, crazy rage beast in this one. He's more of the level head. And I think it was fun to get him in that role and, and also mash up the younger generation X-Men films and the older generation in the same film in a way that, you know, it worked. I, I think it was fun to watch. And, and this is, I would say, you know, really up there with Logan as uh, one of the best in the franchise. Yeah, second only to X Men Apocalypse, right? Everyone, I just watched that actually. That movie is, and we're gonna watch Dark Phoenix next. Oof. Have you not seen that one yet? I don't think so. I, I watched Apocalypse and don't remember anything. So we put on that, and and honestly, I kind of enjoyed it. So I don't know. If you look at it surface value, it's fine. But if you really think about it, it's hot garbage. <laughs> yeah, it just it just led to us debating. Uh, apocalypse first phoenix in a one-on-one and uh i don't know the internet thinks phoenix i i tend to disagree but that's only because in comics the writers have always shown that phoenix wins but if you really look at their power sets i just i feel like apocalypse is like way way strong uh, whatever this is a whole other conversation let's talk about this movie specifically what is it about this movie that works so well and also did anyone else get Avengers Endgame vibes the whole time. I haven't watched this movie since Avengers Endgame came out, but the whole time I was watching it, I was like, wow, this has got, I'm just feeling so much Avengers Endgame in this, where it's like, it's like sort of a post-apocalypse where like the X-Men have clearly lost or like the superheroes have clearly lost. And so they send that dude back in time to get the team back together and, and beat and win again, or like, you know, take down the bad guy or whatever. I was like, wow, this is, like, I wonder if the guys from Avengers Endgame watched this and were like, yeah, let's just do that again. Why not? Anyone else? It doesn't have to be. I just I just felt it for sure, for some reason. No, I mean, I, um, I, I definitely see the similarities, um, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? I mean, two great movies being uh, similar to each other, I think, is, is bound to happen, right? I mean, there's similarities that are going to happen in, in many films, especially when you involve similar themes. Um, yeah, I, I will say that Avengers Endgame had a better explanation than time travel than this one. That's probably the kind of the shakiest part. I mean, this, this, we haven't touched on it yet, but this film is based off of a very, one of the most popular 
X-Men comics of all time in which two comic book characters uh, starts off with just Cable goes back in time to assassinate uh, one of the X-Men. Um, I think he's actually there to assassinate Mystique, if I remember right, who uh, killed um, Bolivar Trask. And um, they stop him. I think they end up sending Bishop back too. Um, either way, super popular comic book from the 19... 19- 70s 80s um that uh is what this this film is based off of um i think that i actually wanted to take that to talk about bolivar trask i think that peter dinklage does a really good job in this role um i really enjoy his performance i I always liked the idea of bolivar trask being this person who um it's kind of misguided like I, i had a discussion with someone about this film in the sense that I don't really consider Bolivar Trask's character to be evil. It's so much that he just kind of set the foundation for the future that was to come. He's kind of a uh, he's kind of a Thanos, um, you know, light character to me. I think when he was kind of doing his narrative about how he doesn't hate mutants, he just sees them, sees the threat that they pose and is not willing to ignore it until it becomes a problem that they can't deal with any longer. And I thought, it's like, can you blame them? I mean, look at what happened. I mean, I'm bringing up Apocalypse again, but look what happened when the villain or the superheroes were in charge. They dominate you and act like gods. And so for him to be like, we can't let it get there or we're going extinct, not them. I, I kind of get it. I mean, it's it's just a greater good thing where it's like, I understand that this is evil, but it's a necessary evil. And therefore, you know, I'm going to do it because the alternative is our extinction. And from that standpoint, I almost can't even call him a villain. He's not being malicious. He's not doing it just to do it. He's doing it with a purpose that makes sense to me. Not that I would be on his team, in that situation but it definitely like thanos makes me say man i don't understand his reasoning is what you're saying right i understand his reasoning yeah i I definitely don't uh dislike his character based on his actions i just i think it's something that he views as a necessary evil and you know nobody's the bad guy of their own story essentially i think there's an interesting moment where he's i can't remember who he's talking to i think he's talking to striker and he says like I actually kind of admire them because we were both fighting for survival of our own race. Like he's like, they're fighting for their own survival and we're fighting for our survival. And so he views it sort of in the same way that Magneto views it, where he's like, it's a war between homo sapien and homo superior. Like that's what it is. And one side is going to end up on top. And he's like, so you have to, you know, like the battle's here and we're going to fight it. Right. And like, so he view it's, yeah, I don't, I definitely don't think it's the right way to think, right? I think it's the same way that a lot of racist people think who maybe aren't a bad person at heart, but just have like really bad views. Yeah, it it definitely doesn't allow for, you know, a different line of thinking, which is why can't we all just get along or, you know, why can't we coexist or whatever or leave each other alone? Like it doesn't allow for any of those things. It's just assuming that at some point one will destroy the other so let's be the destroyers, not the destroyed. Right. Which, which, unfortunately, is exactly the personality type that Zack Snyder gave Batman in Batman v Superman, which is probably why I hate that movie so much. Because it's like, wow, he really turned Superman into sort of a, <laughs> a racist, like a xenophobe. He's like, there's an alien here. We have to kill it. Like, why? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, actually... Um, I mean, it it applies more to the Batman point than it does to Boulevard. But you guys, I'm assuming, know what the Dark Forest theory, theory of time travel is, right? The idea, in a nutshell, is assume that the universe is a dark forest and you are the representative of the human race and you are just stumbling through the dark forest with a spear. Suddenly, you hear a noise in the bush beside you. What is your course of action do you stop and say hey anybody there 
or do you run or do you stab your spear into the bush? What would, what would you do? I mean, I would probably take like a defensive stance and be prepared for battle if necessary, I think is my thought, you know, like, it's not like I'm not just blindly stabbing into at a sound. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to poke a bear? Like, the, the, you, don't you want to have a targeted attack if yeah. a bear is That's attacking? That's point, though. Like this so, alien, this could be the alien race equivalent of a bear, right? Like, why why do, would they have any reason to be friendly? Like, it's right. so the theory is used to explain why we've never found alien races in the universe because they're probably hiding from our attempts to contact because of that same concept. I'm going to hide because I don't know what's going on. It's the but unknown. That's not, I'm not going to deal with it. But now, that's the dark. You said the dark forest theory of time travel, not space travel. Which that's space uh, travel. Sorry. I, yeah. Sorry. So that's space travel. Now, it does apply in this situation because if you think about it, if we come into contact with another alien race, as you're talking about with Batman or shit, I mean, it kind of applies with Boulevard too, where it's like we're now coming into contact with mutants. Like, we don't know what their intentions are. So are we going to sit around and wait to find out that their intentions are evil or are we going to do something? But don't you feel like the issue in the mutant, the mutant metaphor here is that they're not from another planet. They're just humans that were born different. I mean, I think that's the metaphor for like the, like, you know, Stanley clearly created the X-Men in the sixties as like a race relations parable. Um, and then like later into the nineties, it kind of became like a gay parable with like the cure kind of thing. Um, but don't you think like that is more like, I just, I find that so frustrating mostly because they're still human. Like they're hu- Like, what do you mean their intentions? Like what, what could their intentions be? They're just people who have different right. abilities. I mean, well, it's I like it's being mad at you for being yeah. better at sports than I am. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't I understand. Think, yeah. I think that's the beauty of it is it, it is a great real life, um, comparison of like the civil you know, race or civil rights movement where it's like they were being treated as something other than human that we were, they were acting like they had some motives other than to just have equal treatment, you know? And that's what the X-Men are asking for is just, we just want to be treated the same. And, and yet they're, you know, their counterparts are saying, we can't allow you to have, you know, free reign because we can't trust your intentions and it's like right but i think that's the fallacy in boulevard trask's opinion of it and 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 in the same way magneto's except for that magneto is justified in his actions because every single time he gives humans a chance they fuck him <laughs> over but in boulevard trask's viewpoint he just hates them for being different and that's the part where i'm like he is clearly a villain like he's almost at he's almost hitler he's just like no they're different from us and we have to kill them and we have to use their bodies for our science so that we can exterminate them and it's just sort of like i that's the part where it's like it's almost a leap in logic for me because i just like i cannot wrap my head around viewing another human in that way like i just don't understand viewing anybody as less than or other to the point that you're going to like kill them i don't totally know. Agree. we're really getting stuck in this part yeah, of it we are. <laughs> uh totally it's a central agree. theme it's a central I, theme in the movie though yep. yeah yeah it's the central themes of, of all X-Men comics, right? I mean, there, there's always the joke in, in Marvel of how the hell does American society celebrate the Avengers but but piss on the X-Men? Um, sure. Which, yeah, well, I mean, when he originally created them, they weren't in the same universe. And then right. DC started combining all of their superheroes into one universe. And Marvel was like, oh, we could do that. And then just never explain right. <laughs> why everyone hates Spider-Man and hates the X-Men, but everyone loves every other superhero. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that one I kind of get given modern media. Like, all it takes is one media outlet to target one superhero as bad, and suddenly, you know, those people target. I, I get it. Um, it actually works better in today's world than it did back in the 1960s. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so just quick context. The X-Men were created, I think it was 1963 was their first issue, right at the height of the Civil Rights Movement. Professor X, clearly a parable for the for the for one of the Civil Rights leaders, Malcolm X, right? Like, there's, there's so many different... Um, Except that... Professor X is way more MLK. Right. And that's, Magneto is way more that's, Malcolm that's X. That's the point. That's the point is that they're they're interchangeable. Um, that uh, in this one, it's kind of that dynamic flipped on its head. Um, Stanley's talked about it. But uh, sure. that, that, in a, that in any other world, if Martin Luther King had taken a more aggressive stance, Malcolm X might have taken a more peaceful one. I don't know. Um, either way... Um, Let's get back. You asked the question of what is it that we love about this film? This film clearly 
has some some really epic moments. I think the thing that I personally love most about this film is we actually get to see Charles Xavier tortured in the sense that we don't ever in the comics really see him uh, ever complain about being crippled or or ever see his powers as a curse. And yet this actually gives us time with the character that shows um, a Charles that has been defeated and really kind of suffered his first loss to Magneto. And I really love that your favorite part of this movie is that one of the main characters is having a bad time. You're like, oh, finally. I can't, I'm just so happy this guy's having such a rough go of it. smug bastard. Yeah. Finally, he's miserable. Take it down a peg, this bitch. It's something you don't see in the <laughs> comics, right? Like, you see a tortured Magneto all the time. You don't really see a lot of the good characters always suffer a loss and go, one character is just like, ah, oh, it sucks. And then it's like, no, we got to stay positive. And then they do. And then they go and fight the bad guys again and they win the second time. Like, that's standard storytelling formula. I get it. But at the same time, Charles Xavier is always this like eternal optimist and um, that Mr. Clean looking mother. And in this one, we actually see him after having failed to start a school, clearly still affected from the events of first class. um, That is essentially denouncing his human state by sending, inducing himself with medication that takes away his powers and gives him back the ability to walk. And it shows you where his priorities are in that in that moment and mcavoy is really talented there's a couple of scenes in there where i was i was like i was feeling it i was like i choose my legs too man have you guys seen split yeah yes okay uh, that good i have no no comment then <laughs> i'm just kidding um that uh that movie was the first time that i was like okay maybe this guy is really good because i thought this was going to be really stupid Hang with on. all this split wait, personality wait. stuff but have you guys seen Chronicles of Narnia? <laughs> Mr. Tumnus. Can he be trusted? <laughs> um, yeah. Mr. Tumnus. <laughs> um, yeah, so James McAvoy is really good. I think that what's also interesting in this is this is the first X-Men movie where Professor X doesn't get Professor X. He didn't get like taken out immediately and like explain and he also he doesn't die. <laughs> he lives, first of all. Second, he doesn't like have like a at the beginning of the movie he has a reason why he's not using his powers, but by the end, his powers are like what saves the day, which is kind of cool because we never see Professor X save the day. He always gets taken out because he's too powerful and they have to get him out of the scene. Um so that's that was cool. Um and then yeah, James McAvoy is really good. Michael Fassbender is really good. I mean, every single actor in this movie is doing a good job, except Jennifer Lawrence, who is clearly there under duress. Like, you can tell she's like, I don't want to be in these movies anymore. I like have to spend so much time in this blue makeup. I'm fucking sick of it. <laughs> I think she was under contract at this point. She had just won her Academy Award. And she was like, ah, oh, really wish I hadn't signed on but for then, three of but these. But then she comes back in Apocalypse again. <laughs> and, and she dies. Well, sorry. She doesn't die. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot to say uh, full spoilers. What movies have you not seen? What movies? You tell me right now. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Um, Again. I, I'm still not over the James Bond bullshit. Just watch movies, bro. It's I can't believe fault. this keeps happening to me. <laughs> James Bond, now Mystique. You guys are building a Mount Rushmore of... Spoilers, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the movie came out like se- seven years ago, bro. It's on you. That's on you for not watching it. Um, yeah, she. I feel like she's walking her way through this, like un, like just not wanting to be in it. And you can tell because she's barely mystique in it. I think she probably filmed all the scenes that she was blue in one day, and then was just like, okay, I'm not going blue any other time in this movie. I'm done. I'm done. Um, you know what? I did notice, and this is a little bit more Apocalypse than Days of Future Past, but you notice how anytime one of the superheroes is a different color other than normal looking, they're blue? Yeah, Beast. Beast, Mystique, Nightcrawler, and Apocalypse. They're all blue. Yeah, I'm trying to think of very many. Like, There's a Zazel who's red, but he's just red Nightcrawler. Um... Toad is green, ish. He's like sickly looking. In the comics, he's more green. 
than in the movie. Depending uh, on the writer, yeah. Artist. Um, yeah, you're right. There is a lot of blue in X-Men. I don't know. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> I actually don't know. Because, yeah, Mr. Sinister, uh, well, he's not blue. He just wears a lot of blue. He's, like, pale white. He's, like, yeah. pasty white. In, uh, in the Apocalypse final fight scene, I was kind of hoping there'd be a, a one shot of all four of them in the same shot. Blue. <laughs> and it, it didn't happen. It, we got close because they were all in the same battle, but they're in different spots. So too bad. Yeah. So the other thing I, I want to just kind of change tone here. The other thing that's clearly loved about this film, one of the probably most popular scenes in it is Quicksilver. The introduction yep. of Quicksilver. I mean, just some context there. The original storyboarding for this film had the use of juggernaut breaking magneto out but when the studio found out that the avengers were going to bring quicksilver and uh wanda into um the avengers um age of ultron film they decided to take kind of a gray area and introduce quicksilver and scarlet witch into their film and reverse the ages or, and, and make their make there an age gap there and i've never heard if there was some kind of official agreement but age of ultron walks out with a dead quicksilver and a and a fully functioning scarlet witch and um the x-men studio fox comes out with a fully functioning quicksilver and not even a single mention of the scarlet witch so well no he has a little sister with long red hair in right. the movie but they don't mention her yeah or or have her have powers or ever show her up ever do again. you think that was a play for them to kind of do a spider-man thing where they like own the rights to so i can i can actually throw some context in there basically the scarlet witch and quicksilver were introduced in an avengers comic but they were introduced as magneto's children making them definitively mutants so fox owns the rights to all mutant content content produced by marvel for film and tv and marvel owns the rights to all avengers content so they share the rights to those characters because they were introduced in like this sort of gray area right but if they weren't planning to use them it sounds to me like they pivoted in order to get their hands on i don't know the character itself because if they use that actor in their film and then the avengers were like well it's gonna mess everything up if we don't use the same character and the same actor different i wonder actors. if that was some kind of sony Diff play to get another spider-man tug of war different going. different actors right so well, this one was Fox, not sony evan Our peters Fox, sorry yeah so, so Fox used uh, Evan Peters, whereas uh, Marvel used Aaron Taylor Johnson. Which, I know that, but yeah. I, I just figured maybe they were, you know, making some kind of move. Like maybe Clearly, the Avengers studio would be like, "Crap, they're using him now. We got to get that actor in and do a financial uh, battle." It was definitely a play. Like they were definitely pulling some shit. I'm not right. quite sure what that, what kind of legal wrangling they're trying to do behind behind the screens. Maybe they were trying to keep Marvel from using that gray area maybe they were trying to force marvel's hand to use a different character so that they wouldn't use you know they didn't take marvel was like oh well we're going to be able we have the rights to this mutant character let's use them and then that would have been marvel being able to kind of bring mutants into the mcu which would have effectively like i think underwritten um i think Fox's it was just universe. a shot at them right like i think competition is healthy i think they just wanted to say fuck it let's see who does the better quicksilver and i think that that fox definitely won and became yes a, a a fan favorite moment in the film i watched that scene twice yesterday <laughs> i rewound it as it's soon a, as it was over it was yeah. so cool like it's such a good way it is it is a great way it's such a great way to show super speed it breaks the movie Oh, well, what breaks the movie is that they're like, okay, thanks for your help. We're leaving on this plane to this thing where you could solve the problem. But yeah. At the you end, go home. Just don't drive my car too fast. At the end, he could rip over, rip Magneto's helmet off, run over, turn off all the machines, smack Boulevard Trask in the face, like, you know, take Mystique's gun out of her hand. Like, he could do whatever he wants to everybody because nobody there is on the same, you know power level i would say like or at least maybe he's not as powerful but his power gives him such a distinct advantage, advantage that sure. it just it breaks the story a little bit because he could have solved everybody's problem and you're right they just go all right get my car back home in one piece i mean that's literally like that's the issue with the flash in most comics like it's part of the reason that i think dc has had such a hard time getting um 
the Justice League off the ground and the way that the Avengers was able to get off the ground is that all of the characters in DC are so God tier powerful that it is sort of hard to find like a collective threat that they can't all beat in 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like everybody on there, like Superman and Flash have super speed. Superman's got super strength. Aquaman's got super strength. Wonder Woman's got super strength. Superman's got laser vision. And then you have the smartest man in the world with all the money and like gadgets and shit. Can it's like, imagine? how the fuck did those five people not just kill every threat in like as fast as possible? You know what I mean? Superman can literally run at the speed of sound with laser vision like how does he not solve every problem i don't understand yeah, it's the superman problem yeah i bring and it up all the time can yeah, you imagine silver fits into that quite well sorry can you imagine if the justice league had actually been assembled with seven different solo films and each one of them introducing a villain that then assembled the justice society um the, the evil society i don't even know what they call it injustice society yeah um i think that would have been incredible um too bad we didn't get that. Um, so let's do this. We, we're, we're about a half hour into the podcast now. Um, I know that we've got some other stuff that we want to talk about, including stuff that we did this week. So uh, why don't we touch on each of our favorite parts of the film? Tyler, you go first. Um, I mean, I think my favorite part is the part that I watched twice that we just spoke about. <laughs> it's really good. It just like, it really is good. But like Brian said, it does break the movie because you really have to suspend disbelief that they wouldn't be like, wow, this guy can do that. Like maybe we just bring him everywhere and have him solve all our problems from now on. Cause I don't really need to be there if this guy can just do everything, you know? I mean, maybe they um, just don't want a stranger to risk their lives again. Maybe they're like, hey, what we if Quicksilver does that thing where he holds uh, Michael Fassbender's head? But just like has Wolverine stick his claws out in like a Jesus pose. And then he just runs Wolverine around all the time and just kills everybody. Boom. Solved. We're done. Quicksilver doesn't um, kill people. He does zany cartoonish antics with... He attacked Apocalypse. Wolverine Apocalypse. would kill people. That's the thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that's my favorite part of the movie, Brian. Jeff, Jeff, what's yours? No, I want to go last. <laughs> all right, mine's... Wolverine waking up with the boss's daughter and being like, I didn't sleep with her. All right. Well, yeah, I did many times, but that was the old me. I'm different now. I just, <laughs> He's like, I just explains. got here like 20 yeah. seconds ago. 20 se Would you believe that I'm from the future? <laughs> and then he's like, all right, never mind. I'm going to kill Hugh Jackman is huge oh and my jacked, God. man. He is so ripped in that well, scene. I was like that. blown away by how. I, but yeah, that's was. not his draw. I mean, it, he looks awesome in that scene, but like that's not his draw. It's his ability to like really deliver on his scenes. He like, makes me want to he, go. He's hilarious to a thrift shop and buy 1970s clothing because it looks fucking perfect. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this band's gorgeous. Um, Jeff, you have to be that ripped to pull it off, though. You know, what? Are you <laughs> the clothes don't make you look that way. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the clothes. He looks incredible because he looks incredible. Naked, Every clothes salesman they just will put tell clothes you on top of it. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, my personal favorite moment in this film, the part that I always look forward to most as I watch this film, because I've seen it probably five or six times now, um, is the point when the two Charles Xavier's are talking, when you actually get James McAvoy. I don't want your future. I don't want your suffering. Yeah. Um, I think that that moment really, really perfectly ex in, in, um, captures Charles Xavier's philosophy. I think that Charles... Um, that uh, Patrick Stewart being able to talk to his former self and convince him to go to the path of um, positivity and, and optimism was powerful. Um, I always like it when a character is able to kind of come into their own. And for this film, this was, uh, in many cases, Charles Xavier's path towards... 100%. And it kind of felt like a somewhat of a handoff between uh, Patrick Stewart and McAvoy. Like, I, I don't know if uh, Stewart <laughs> features later, but uh, it definitely felt like a really beautiful handoff between the two. What do you mean? He's in Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> he gets absolutely murdered. In he also gets works. murdered in Logan. Yeah, he's also in Logan. And he dies in that, too. <laughs> he comes back bringing twice. that guy back to die. Yeah, he dies so many times. He dies in, uh, what's the third one? Last Stand? Blep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, um, a lot. Which, 
Yeah, but then he comes back. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, I uh, those were our favorite parts. I can only imagine what future Magneto would say to his former self, like, "Yo, go fuck shit up." <laughs> so I do quickly before we move on to the overarching topic here. Um, Matthew Vaughn directed Kick Ass and then directed X Men First Class, which was like sort of the reboot for the X Men franchise, sort of a prequel, sort of a reboot. Um, and then he uh, he wrote this movie, but he originally planned for this movie to be the third in his X-Men trilogy. But then Fox kind of wanted this movie to get moved up to be able to compete with Avengers Age of Ultron. And so he he left and went and did Kingsman, I think, is how, how it played out. Um, and... I, I can't remember what his original plan was for the second movie... But he wanted to bring both franchises together in the third movie. I want to know if you guys think that this felt like a weird movie to be in like the middle of their like X-Men franchise. Because it was so big. Like, doesn't this seem like a way bigger, higher stakes movie than Apocalypse felt like? Definitely. I... Like, I feel like throw Apocalypse into the middle and have them fight Apocalypse in like the 70s or something like that. Like, oh, I guess that's what they did. Um, I mean, if but, the second film could have been uh, a uh, Dark Phoenix, or no, just the Phoenix saga. Oh, that's strange. Uh, I mean, if, if the Phoenix could have, or if could have seen, um, what is it, the Dark Phoenix saga, where Mastermind tries to corrupt Jean Grey, and you have, like, the evil brother, the, the um, uh, what are they called? The, um, help me out here, Black Tom Cassidy, Emma Frost, the... Uh, <sighs> Like, hellfire oh, club the, hellfire yeah. club with all of the uh kind of society of of deranged or corrupt mutants using the powers for evil um i well, think could have been a... hellfire club was in first class right, but they're the I bad think... guys in first class oh just like bring them back as like a different version or whatever. right sure yeah I, I don't know i just feel like this movie like would have been a really cool way to wrap up a trilogy rather than like i mean it still is a great movie no nothing wrong with it i just feel like at, I, I agree with Matthew Vaughn that this should have been the end of a trilogy rather than like the middle, because where do you go from here? It felt like the end of an era or something. You know what I mean? Um, anyway, doesn't matter. That's not how we got it. Let's move on to your topic, Jeff. What are we talking about? So this film for me, I mean, while I agree that that first class acts for me more like a prequel than it does a reboot, um, this film is where I consider the Fox franchise to have kind of officially been rebooted. Uh, and for us to move into the following two movies, which I will admit are not as good. Um, so upon rewatching this film, I was like, wow, this is not the only time that this has happened, right? Some, a lot of films in modern day are starting to use this concept of time travel to try and reboot uh, their franchises. Um, and so I had two questions is, is kind of three, I guess. One, did this reboot work for you guys? Um, what do you guys think about the other franchises that have used time travel to reboot? And three, if you could reboot any other franchise using time travel, what would it be? So what movies have we seen use time travel to reboot the universe, Jeff? So the first one that comes to mind is The Terminator, where they tried to, um, uh, where they bring in Amelia Clark. They have them going back in time and you have the recasting of, of uh, Sarah Connor. Um the more important one, the most notable of them, that's probably been the most successful, is Star Trek, where you get the reboot of the classic Star Trek TV show now using uh, film media, and you get the recasting of the entire original cast. Um, that's the kind of the largest one that comes to mind. Um, I think that this this film's kind of on that same scale of at least that 2009 J.J. Abrams film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think that Star Trek was the most successful at it, besides this movie that we've just talked about. But I think that, um, I mean, what is the benefit of go of using time travel to tell these stories back in time? I guess it's that you you're not rewriting canon; you're creating new canon. Right. You're, you're going back just... to the route, the original, and like so. It's like those stories already happened, and then we went back in time, and then something changed, and now we're going this way. Right. And so you get right. to tell the same people 
or the same characters going in a different... Yeah, you're not refuting anything that you've already made. You're not going against your work. You're saying all that happened and now something else happened because of this event or whatever. Um, I, I think it's fine if you do it right. I mean, this movie, I think, is a great example of it where I was completely okay with it. Star Trek, obviously, you know, I feel about Star Trek, best, best space universe in all of media, bar none. Any films say, with yeah, star like every, in the title? I feel like every movie is in space at some, to some degree, right? Because we're on a planet that's floating in space. Right? Got him. Got him. I, I said once with star in the title. I got more specific. You're just upset because I'm taking shots at your stupid movies. And by the way, that's my choice. Reset that shit with time travel. Star Wars. Reset it. I don't care. To what? Who's going they, back to what time period? So they did introduce time travel in... So in the old expanded universe, there is time travel. And it's frustratingly complicated and doesn't make any sense, if I'm honest. But then in the new canon, they've introduced a version of time travel in the comics and in the novels i don't remember how it works but there's like some sort of like portal that opens up and so they've created like a time travel so wormhole mechanic yeah it's a wormhole i don't remember exactly i didn't read the comic that it was in but like when they introduced it it like went viral everyone's like what the fuck they just introduced star like time travel in star wars all right it here's what you do star wars okay. sorry go ahead you steal the consciousness time travel thing from days of future past and you have Yoda go back and relive his 900-year sex highlight reel with all the <laughs> with all the green honeys. Just him and Yaddle, just Yaddle clapping cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> y- yeah, Yaddle. You know Yaddle. She's in. No, I don't know Yaddle. <laughs> She's clearly a Yoda puppet the... that they just put a wig on and just had in the background of the episode one. But she's on the Jedi Council. So right. Another she appears one. Oh, yeah. in one scene. In Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith, I don't understand how you're not clear. She's an unnamed character that appears in one scene, Brian. How do you I not know who this woman is? Actually, But yes. She's named. She's in the credits. <laughs> no, right, I'm saying no one says her fucking name. Uh, no, you know what I do when the credits start rolling? I turn it off. Am I uh, alone here? Yeah. So how alone. would we... So, yes. <laughs> so Jeff, do you have any recommendations for a movie that could be benefited by time travel? Um, you know, I've been trying to think of that. Um, for me, I really like when things make sense. If I were to introduce time travel, I'd want to introduce it to a world where the characters could feasibly go back in time without it being a little silly, right? The Days of Future Past comic have them using a time machine, which I think would be important to um, establish in any film, which means the characters have to be capable of building a time machine in order for you to... Um, to do it. That's um, assuming that the mechanism is a man-made machine. Yeah. Right. So I, I have a thought, so I'll give you a little bit more time to think about it. I think it would be a really cool way to reboot James Bond. So because, because if you do Daniel Craig somehow one more time, like say if they didn't just kill him, right? They do an older James Bond he goes to a villain's lair. The villain goes into a time travel machine. James Bond follows him into there and has to find his younger self. And then that you introduce the younger self. Dude, and then that one carries the franchise going forward. That, that might be the worst choice. And here's why. James Bond happens in modern day where we don't have time travel technology. And we're not even close. Okay. But conceivably, a villain in the James Bond universe could discover time travel. And there's we- no weirder shit has happened in James Bond. Okay. <laughs> the, but the, uh, I just think that's a bad choice. I'm not going to keep refuting it, but that's a weird one. Like, it's there's just like the James Bond movies don't make you suspend disbelief the way that other movies do, where you have to accept mythical or magical elements or future technologies that we may or may not end up having. What, a Korean man becomes a white man in one of the James Bond movies that you like. Uh, that's just facial technology. That's the same thing as Mission Impossible. I fully accept that. What about Moonraker? 
Have you seen that one where they where the U.S. has a space force and they fight each other with laser guns? <laughs> space force. I think that exists today. Yeah, it does. But go and watch that movie. That will make you think <laughs> that right. time travel makes sense in the James All Bond right. universe. I'll leave James Bond alone. You're entitled to your stupid opinions. But anyway, you haven't even seen half of the James Bond movies. You don't get to tell me that my opinions are stupid. Right. I've read all the books and seen all the movies. So here is the here's the correct answer to this scenario. Jon Snow and his band of warriors go north of the wall, deep into the snowy tundra. And there they find a magical elf that can send them back before they head into terrible season eight decisions. And we redo <laughs> the last two seasons of Game of Thrones. Roll credits. Dun, 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 I mean, dun, they've dun, dun. greenlit a Jon Snow pilot and they're currently in pre-production on it like writing scripts and getting that all approved right now his purpose is gone i don't accept it unless they rewind time what if they do it that way that's what i'm saying i'll watch it i'll watch the shit out of that i watched the shit out of that i think that would make me more upset if if they went back and he was like no aria hold on and then he, he grabs up. the knife and kills the <laughs> <guy>. <laughs> yeah, just like a double surprise yeah i mean so, I mean, my immediate answer, of course, is going back to, to my history with comics. There's so many different comic book storylines that are told really well with time travel, um, right? Like we get the story of Dr. Doom who goes back in time and learns magic and, and his has his whole backstory, which is wild, but we don't even know who Dr. Doom is yet. So it's kind of really for that. Um, you also get Tyler once bought me a comic book for, for my birthday over a decade ago called 1917 or no, 1776. Uh, I don't remember. Exactly. No, it's the... 1640 Whatever. I, yeah i can't remember it's, it's 16 something um, neil right, gaiman it was, it was 16 something um anyways the idea is that what if marvel comics had started back in that time period when america was first being colonized uh and all of these superheroes basically showed up but were now playing different roles within this new society 1602 that's what it's called 1602 so for example captain america exists but he is a native american who has kind of red white and blue face painting and he has you know shield and well, he's a white blonde man who's been raised by natives. <laughs> he's not Native American. And uh, Spider-Man is a spy working for Nick Fury, who's in the Queen's Court, um, who is you know like part of like a British traveling troop traveling, traveling across the colonies and all these other characters. Um, R.I.P. By the way, the uh, mentioned the Queen. The Queen. Mm. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that old lady died. The reveal for this for this comic book was that Captain America, the very, very end, you find out, is actually Steve Rogers, who was sent back in time after trying to save some lives and woke up in 1602 and was like, OK, I guess I just have a life here. So he showed up, saved some Native Americans and they adopted. And he was like, cool, I'll just like live out a peaceful life here. And then because of his presence at that time, the world started making superheroes like basically marvel comics like followed him there and he's like ah shit here we go again um, yeah so he basically causes the the current universe by doing that how right. sick would it be if they do that long rumored captain america tv show where he's gonna like go back in time and deliver all the stones from at the end of uh end game and at the end of it he gets trapped in 1602 <laughs> that would be and cool That'd be a good, yeah. but we know that he ends up with Peggy, so that wouldn't work. But eventually, so. yeah, uh, yeah. After I don't know about that as a movie. I just I know it's I know that it, is I know a good never, comic. I know it'll never be made. I just think that that would be a fun thing to like see all of our favorite actors playing this role of alternative, like Magneto leading the Spanish Inquisition. Like what the fuck? Um, shit would be fun. Uh, so apparently. Uh, something that I told you was never going to happen is happening, which is Planet Hulk and World War Hulk are apparently going to happen in the Marvel Universe. Jeff said that that's what he wanted a couple weeks back or a couple months ago. And I was like, there's no way that will ever happen. And then all basically all of the chatter around the Hulk online is that Planet Hulk and World War Hulk are indeed happening. And that that will be how Mark Ruffalo leaves the universe will be like, that'll be his big thing is that he'll be the overarching villain in a storyline, I guess. That he finally so, loses his, his lifelong battle to the Hulk and the Hulk gets him killed. Basically, Poetic. yeah, something along that line. Yeah. Ironic. So, 
Um, we'll see. Interesting. All right. But I wanted to have a non-superhero answer. What if, stay with me here, Brandon Fraser gets sent back in time as his character from The Mummy and now has to stop Emotep from actually gaining power back in ancient Egyptian times. So he just goes back with a revolver and shoots him? Yeah, so instead of burying him alive, just like kill him back then. It's going to be the, uh, <laughs> the Indiana Jones scene where the dude's like flipping around the scimitar and then he just like <laughs> pulls out the gun. I mean, Do you he know has the to... story behind that scene? apparently Harrison Ford was just like super sick with the flu that day, but they had to film it. And so there was originally going to be like a whole fist fight. And he was just like, what if I just pull out my gun and shoot him? And then they were like, well, we'll just film it that way and see. And then they filmed it that way. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's fucking funny. And so, and it's like one of the most iconic scenes in all of Indiana yeah, Jones so history. And it only worked because Harrison Ford felt like shit. That's <laughs> pretty good. That's funny. Um, I don't know about that one, Jeff. I, I like. I thought you were gonna say Brendan Fraser goes back in time and has to fight like other monsters, like Dracula or, or like the werewolf or something. That could be kind of sick. Make Rick O'Connell just like a time traveling monster hunter. I'd be okay with that. Here's, here's the problem I'm having though. I feel like the X Men reboot move was to kind of fix the direction of the franchise, if that's fair to say. And the Mummy don't need no fixing. Have you seen? I don't know. Did the you most recent see? Mummy. Yeah. Did it's you see awful. the golden circle or whatever it was called? The one where he's uh, fighting the terracotta warriors with his 20-year-old son. And it sounds kind of familiar. They I, rely I just, on Jet Li. There's if it EV's sucks, gone. If it sucks, I scrub it from my memory. That's that one. I do vaguely recall something. But Mummy 1 and 2, those are money. Yeah, they're okay. I like the Mummy 1 for sure. But all right. I don't know. Anyone else have any good ones? I do want to point one out that... Um, we actually just sort of referenced. Um, apparently, the rumor is that the new Indiana Jones movie is going to feature time travel. How do you guys feel about that? I was good with voodoo. I was good with uh, Christian relics being a focus. I was great with aliens. Uh, so time travel is just on par. I'm happy I feel like for you're it. the only person who like forgives that movie for the aliens thing. I don't here's, look, I don't care that they did aliens. I just thought the execution of the aliens was dumb. Here's the real problem. Off the top of my head, Harrison Ford was in his mid sixties for the last one. And that was what, ten years ago? Oh yeah. He's old as shit. So is he on the uh the T B twelve diet? Is he like rewinding time here with his physical ability or are we gonna watch a guy wheelchair around? <laughs> I think he'll probably be like, right? Like, if we he'll be in scene, way less action scenes. You if know we could mean? get a scene of him, like, whipping himself like a rope swing, and he's like in like a scooter or something. <laughs> Here, here's what we do: we, 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 you cast the guy that played young Han Solo in the Han Solo solo film, and you put him in old man prosthetics, so he looks like modern day old. Uh, Harrison Ford and then he does all the action scenes no or you just do an Indiana Jones film with that guy as the lead and it's young Indy doing something else because he refers to so many adventures that we've and never just seen. watch the internet implode <laughs> why that guy was good as Han Solo I don't... people did not like that people were not happy about that and I just can't imagine that anybody would be happy if they actually did it uh, with him again there's times where I worry about my negative views on certain stuff that we cover and i realize now i'm actually extremely positive compared to the average on the internet because i really true. liked i really liked this solo story or whatever i thought he was great as a young han i would totally buy him as a young indie i think i would have been more okay with him as young indiana jones than young han solo for some reason i don't know why i think indiana jones doesn't have to be harrison ford i think that harrison ford is like I want to be Indiana Jones for the rest of my life. And I understand, like, fine. But I don't, like, similar to, like, James Bond, he's just, like, a pulp hero, and he could be played by anybody, in my opinion. But they're not, they choose not to do it that way. Um, but Han Solo, for some reason, in my head, is just so closely tied to Harrison Ford that it was, like, really hard for me to see anyone else playing the role. It's fascinating, um, because Han Solo is a side character. Indy's a lead. He's okay. Han Solo is not a side character. He's one of the three leads, but um, you can only have one lead. 
And it's All right, we're Yoda, pushing Yoda up on time here. Let's get on to um, what's clever. Yeah. Uh, okay, I got a list this time. I watched Morbius. Honestly, it's not that bad. It's not good, but I think the reason that it's a joke is because who the fuck wanted this movie with this character? Like, right. even watching it, I was just like, it's an hour and a half long. Like, the plot is straightforward. There's not, like, a whole lot of, like, logic leaps that you have to make. Like, once you understand, like, okay, that guy's a vampire, that guy's a vampire. Cool. Um, but it just was, like, the whole time I was watching it, I was just like, who is this for? Like, who was who wanted this? You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't... It's not even... Morbius just, like, doesn't have a cool power set, so they had to, like, make it... They had to, like, kind of, like, make it visually cool. And to be honest, they kind of succeed in the visually cool department. I think the movie looks great. I just feel like it's... I just... I don't understand the logic that Sony had in throwing as much money as they must have done at this film. That's that's the real joke of the movie. It's just that it it's just... I don't know why they made it but like as a movie it was fine like it was just fine i'm not gonna watch it ever again but honestly it's exactly how i feel about venom yeah that's actually how i feel about venom as well except like, for venom is a character anyone... that made sense if they make him a villain in a spider-man movie but right giving did... him a solo movie makes no sense right did anyone ask for him to have his own film were people calling for that like i just i didn't get a sense that that was necessary and it was nothing to do with tom hardy's acting or the you know the villain itself i thought it was fine and he would have been fun, even if you wanted to do, you know, like a protagonist lead and an antagonist lead and split up the film that way between him and Spider-Man. Sure, whatever. Like, I just didn't get why he got his whole, you know, series going for the villain. Yeah, well, Venom makes a little bit more sense because he's had his own solo comic that's gone for like 10 years straight and like all of these different things. So it's like he is clearly a very popular character. Morbius has had a solo title twice and they both didn't even make it through their entire run before they got canceled because no one was buying them because who the fuck cares about Morbius? He's such a stupid character. No one wants that. I just I don't understand. And what it really comes down to is that Sony sees how well superhero movies are doing and they're like, oh, we'll just ruin this. By just pumping out a bunch of garbage and like <laughs> Let's make ruin it. Well, no, they're like, we'll just make as much money as we can because we don't have any actual emotion tied into this. Like, we don't care. We're just we're here for making. Was money. Morbius profitable? Uh, I actually, think so. I think it, no, I think it was. Well, no, it bombed twice at the box office. But what the thing is is it's getting viewership numbers through the roof. It's crazy how much people are viewing it, and it's being talked about so much online that it's like popularity it's like getting word of mouth buzz because of how much of a joke people are Do having you guys realize what you're doing <laughs> you're promoting more of that shit please stop wait me no no oh. people talking about it on the yeah. internet well i mean we're talking about it on the internet right now <laughs> right but i i haven't seen the movie i'm just talking about how shitty so, it sounds so the original release earned 163 million dollars worldwide with seventy-four million of that coming from domestic, but the movie was only a seventy-five million dollar budget, so it was. Yeah, but you have to double budget to account for marketing. Is rule of thumb. Um, so Which it still clears. Yeah, but. so one hundred and fifty, but it's only a ten million dollar profit. After, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have a that's very thin margin. Um, I also watched Jurassic World: Ob Oblivion or Extinct. What is it? Dumb. Dominion. Dominion. Like I watched it. Uh, it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, and then I watched Do Revenge, which is a new movie out on Netflix, which is sort of like a clueless meets Strangers on a Train, the Hitchcock movie. I, I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it was okay. I don't know. It's clearly aimed at like a Gen Z crowd because um, I, I thought everybody dressed very ridiculous and I don't know. It was It was fine. If you like, I don't know, you won't hate yourself for checking it out, but it won't be your favorite movie of the year either. So. Wait a minute. Alan Grant didn't bring uh, Jurassic Park back from extinction? No. Where did you watch that? It's on HBO, I think. Ooh. Don't watch that movie. The movie's so bad. Uh, yeah. I mean, Brian, what's like clever? It, Brian. <laughs> I, like we already covered, I am more positive than most. Yeah. I think I'll find a way to like it. Yeah. Tyler, were you done? Yeah, I'm done. Um, I don't have a ton. A lot of the same stuff on my end. Um, 
Uh, there was something I watched, and I it's escaped we, me. We watched those X Men movies. Uh, yeah, we threw on X Men Apocalypse right after watching the homework for this week. Uh, it was fine. I mean, I I really like that kind of like character that lives through time, you know. And it's you know he's I get really excited when like for example Apocalypse is mentioning all the different names that he's acquired over the centuries, and I just want more backstory into that stuff. I want to know about those times and in the context there. I, I like that kind of a character. So I, I think from that standpoint, I was latching onto the film, but otherwise it was just all right. Um, but it has sparked, you know, the homework this week has sparked us backing up and watching all the X-Men, I think in some kind of weird order because we're doing apocalypse next. We'll do dark Phoenix and then we're probably looking back up to the beginning. So we'll, uh, we'll do it that way. Hopefully cap it off with Logan just to leave with a, a good taste in our mouths. But uh, that's that's kind of it for me. I don't, I don't have a whole lot else this week. Uh, for me, I didn't do much. Uh, I did watch Cobra Kai Season 5. I haven't watched it yet. We'll, it's we'll have to discuss. still bad. I mean, it's... it's uh, More the same? Are, it's the same. It's, cool. Uh, I'm good. I'm watching it. It's it's exactly the same. Um, is it over? To watch or are they going to do another season? Watch the show. Uh, God damn it! <laughs> uh, I can't tell. I just, honestly, I, I'm going to keep watching it. I'm still positive on it, but I want them to end it. I'm over honestly, it. I couldn't. I couldn't tell if it was over or not by the end, um, because it seems like there is a resolution, but they clearly didn't wrap up like all loose ends. So it kind of hints that there will be a season six. Um, they definitely tease something large throughout the season that doesn't come to fruition. So it's very, very likely that there will be a season six. Um, yeah. With this. Uh, yeah. So Cobra Kai is fine, right? It's probably the worst television show that I watch, um, but I still watch it religiously. Um, the other thing I watched was I went to theaters yesterday and watched Kevin Smith's Clerks 3, which is now in theaters. I am a fan of Kevin Smith's filmmaking. I am a fan of the Clerks franchise. Um, and I enjoyed this film. The premise of it is that the characters of Clerks decide making Clerks. Decide to film the original Clerks film to say, hey, look at all these funny things that we lived through as characters. Let's put that into a movie and use this convenience store that we work at as the place and let's use the customers as characters and let's just do this. Um, and I enjoyed it. There is humor. It is not as funny as the first one. Um, probably on par with the second one. Um, but it is really just a massive love letter to the first Clerks film. Uh, it's kind of a love letter of Kevin Smith to his characters. One of the things that caught me off guard is... I think it was more Kevin Smith sending a love letter to the fans and showing them, like, because he ha does have such a devout fan base who, like, really love the Viewisk universe or whatever he calls that shit. Awaken, Awakenverse. Um, and uh, he... I think that this was more of like an effort in like kind of telling his story to them in like a, you know, in this sort of meta contextual way, which I kind of appreciate, but I'm not going to go see it. I don't, I've kind of grown out of my Kevin Smith phase. I really liked so, him when his stuff was coming out in the late nineties, but now I'm a little, what Jalen silent Bob is a classic. That's all I got. What, uh, what caught me off guard is the film ends, they roll credits and then Kevin Smith starts a voiceover commentary, like thanking everyone for coming, which then launches into like a full 10 minute documentary about the making of the film where you get into like interviews with all the different cast um, of them talking about their experience and how great it was to be able to film in New Jersey at the actual convenience store that Kevin Smith actually worked at when he filmed clerks one. Um, and I don't know. It's uh, it was interesting. Um, oh, uh, Dogma was pretty good too. They touch on Dogma. Apparently, Dogma at the time that it was released was the highest grossing film that Lionsgate had ever uh, produced, and that he's like, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say that I made Lionsgate, but it was fun to say that I was a part of their kind of 
growth and history, uh, which made me want to go back and watch Dogma because JC owes me five bucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Well, that's it for me. Uh, Tyler, you want to take over? Yeah. What am I? Wa- what are we watching next week? I got. Are we sticking with time travel one more week? I guess. Or are we? We can, we can pivot at any time, guys. We're the ones making the rules. Yeah. So, Jeff, what are you thinking? I'm open to it. I'm open to pivoting. All right. We're we're pivoting for three weeks to '80s action adventure movies, and I'm starting with Conan the Barbarian, starring Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sound good? You're just trying to make me happy, or what's happening here? No, we're just going to watch those like really ridiculous, overblown 80s movies, I think, for three weeks. And then after that, we're going to pivot to horror for the month of October, just to bother Jeff. <laughs> the real question is, is this about to turn into uh, uh, a season on Schwarzenegger? Are we all choosing Schwarzenegger films? Nope. Uh, I mean, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but you can, I guess um all right cool well yeah conan the barbarian next week come prepared everybody thank you goodbye thanks bye guys thank you for listening to the clever kids podcast if you want more from us be sure to follow us on social media we're at clever kids pod everywhere or you can get in touch with us at clever kids podcast at gmail.com we would love to hear from you and be sure to rate us on whatever app you're listening on and recommend us to a friend we really appreciate it or don't Whatever's clever.